Uh, God is the God of the universe, and it runs by his rules. You may have your own rules for the universe, but you don't have a universe. And so that's something to keep in mind, and it's basically what we're talking about this morning, is that God is the God of the universe, and we don't have a universe, and so we use the universe, and we rule our lives according to his universe and his rules. And uh, that's, the, that's the problem that, that Paul is dealing with in Corinth. Um, he's uh, dealing with a people who um, basically thought they had a better picture of how the rules should go uh, than God did. And uh, I almost lost my file to the internet, but I got it. <laughs> Good stalling, Paul. Um, and uh, so just as we, as we continue in this series on, on 1 Corinthians, we're looking at the different cornerstones. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about church purity. And uh, what we're talking about now is, is personal purity. And uh, we're dealing with a very um, difficult sort of section in chapter 6. And I just wanted to explain sort of my burden to you uh, before we get into this. Um, the fact is, in, in these scriptures, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to, tw- or 9 to 20, uh, there's, a, there's a lot going on. Uh, Paul talks about the law, liberty, and purity, and that's what we're going to talk about today. But he talks about it in such a way that it raises a lot of questions, and I don't know, I'm, I'm going over this text right now sort of as a survey to deal with the general principle of purity and the general principle that Paul is applying to the church in Corinth to correct it. Um, but there's a lot more there, and I'm struggling with and may go into more detail and stay on this and maybe go over it two or three times to touch on the other things. But regardless, it's always the case that if you have any questions, if anything in the text uh, hits your heart and you have questions about it and I don't cover it, then please contact me. Uh, Phone me, email me, message me, Facebook me, tweet me, whatever. Uh, Get a hold of me if anything in this text uh, hits you and you don't get it answered by me because there's a lot going on and I'm just dealing with the general case. I'm not dealing with the specific cases. And there's a lot of specific cases about purity in this text, uh, as you'll see as we read it. Um, So when the Holy Spirit instructs and the Holy Spirit convicts, it's important that we respond. So please do, uh, if I don't cover it uh, this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we just uh, open up your word this morning, and uh, we look forward to what your Holy Spirit will teach us on this issue of purity, but even more specifically um, on how we align ourselves to your word and how we are, as a church and as individuals within a church, to align ourselves uh, so that we are using our actions and our bodies and our spirit and our words and everything that we do for your glory and not using it uh, to bring disgrace upon you. And so, Lord, you've given us instruction and you've given us correction. And so we just follow along in the spirit of the Corinthian church here as we listen to the correction that Paul brings uh, to their thinking and to their lifestyle. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 20. Uh, I'll just read the text and then we'll get into sort of the context and the review. 9 to 11 being the first segment. Or, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit 
of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So what is Paul talking about here? Like I said, there's a lot going on, a lot of very specifics, and I can only touch on the general case this morning. Um, But where this is coming from, as you remember, as we've been going through the series, just the last chapter, the specific incident of chapter 5, right? There was the man uh, who had his father's wife, and this was uh, something that not even the pagans tolerated, and the Corinthian church was proud of their tolerance of it, and Paul says he needs to be set apart from the church, and uh, you should... Uh, turn his body over to Satan uh, so that his soul will be saved. And so then Paul built on that specific incident, and he talked about in general the fact that the Corinthian church had essentially a low view of purity and a very high view of grace to the extreme, to license. And then also their behavior in the first part of chapter 6. He left chapter 5, he went on to chapter 6, at least in our Bible, that's the way we have it. Uh, no chapters in his letters. Um, But he went on to chapter 6 and he started talking about how the Corinthian church were behaving towards each other. They were taking each other to court and they were suing each other and they were were swindling each other. And so then that's what this follows after. And he says, don't you know uh, that these people, swindlers and revilers and drunkards and thieves and adulterers and and, uh, men who practice homosexuality and idolaters and the immoral, these people, you're behaving in a way, these people do not inherit the kingdom of God, but you were justified. And so he talks about there in 6, 1 to 8, he talks about the general conduct of the church. The Corinthian church is engaged in these different activities that Paul has heard about. And he says, you need to know some things. And the third thing to the, con- to the, to the, to the culture is the influence of the culture. Right? That Paul speaks there, he says, everything is lawful for me. Right? This is sort of a cultural reality that everything is permissible. But he says, but not everything is profitable. And and food is meant for the stomach, and stomach for the food. This was sort of a a trend of the time. It's just an appetite. And, you know, if you have an appetite, you fulfill your appetite. And it's just natural that that's what you do. And, you know, we haven't heard that anywhere today, right? That if it it feels good, do it. If it's our natural impulse, then we should follow it. If If it's what we believe we should do, then it must be good because it comes from our natural impulses. And that's what Paul's referring to here, the influence of the church, of the culture on the church, that there are these sayings that everything is permissible and that, and that the food is meant for the stomach and the stomach is meant for food. If I have an appetite, then I should satisfy my appetite. And Paul has an answer to that. And so the result of this whole thing, again, looking at the general overview of this text, because there's so much going on, very specific, is that Paul has identified a problem in chapter 5 and 6. And the problem is a low view of purity, which is why we're talking about purity. But in this specific case, a very high view of liberty. They have a very high view of liberty in the Corinthian church. And I think Paul, to a certain extent, acknowledges this because that's what he taught. 
I mean, the, da- the danger of the gospel is that it is grace. The danger of the gospel is that God does forgive. The danger in preaching the gospel, and Paul preached it to such an extreme to right to the razor's edge, is that you get the sense that if everything you're saying is true, Paul, then we can get away with everything and anything. Right? If you're saying, like, they, like the people in Romans were, in Rome were saying, is that if, if God's grace abounds all the more where sin is, then the more we sin, the more God gets to show his grace, and there's more grace. And so sin is good because it makes God look better. Right? That's the danger of misunderstanding the gospel of grace. And that's what was happening here in Corinth. After Paul had left for a couple of years, he was hearing about this behavior that was going on in the Corinthian church, a church that he founded and that was founded on what he taught. And so he's got to come back now and correct because they've wandered away from the understanding of purity and grace. They've taken a very low view of purity and a very high view of liberty. And you can sort of interchange liberty and grace in what I'm saying today. Now, does that happen to the church today? Absolutely. I mean, are there cultural influences that put pressure on the Christian principles we choose to elevate and other ones we choose to stay quiet about as a church? Absolutely. You look at the church today, and there is cultural influence for us to say, oh, we're all about this and we're not about that. Right? We're not a church that does this. We're a church that does this. We agree with you on this stuff. And so we're really big on liberty and grace and freedom and all of that stuff. That's our church. But we're not going to talk about sin, right? And we get, in a, as a church, we get trapped into the same thing that Corinth is. They have this cultural pressure on them to elevate certain principles and elevate certain doctrines and minimize other doctrines. And we do it personally, too, in our own lives. I mean, that's corporately. We think, yeah, yeah, we, I see how the church does that. But then personally, this is where this text hits home, we do this personally in our own lives as well, right? Corporately, as a church, we do it because we're embarrassed, you know, and we want to fit into the culture, right? We don't want to come down as prudes and, you know, we have to sort of, you know, sort of let the, the immorality out there sort of have its way to a certain extent. But then individually, personally, we do it because we want to justify our sin while claiming righteousness, Because we like to think of ourselves as good, but we also like to maintain our behavior, right? And so we sort of tweak the dials on our faith. We sort of go through Sunday school, we go through church, we learn all the doctrines, we learn everything about God, we understand his love, and we understand his justice, Uh, we understand his grace, and we understand his wrath, we understand heaven, we understand hell, Uh, we understand purity, and we understand freedom, but we, as, as we sort of get older and as we sort of, sort of mature into our faith, we kind of tweak the dials a little bit. And as you go along, you keep tampering with the dials like they do on the soundboard, right? And eventually, you know, you turn up liberty really high and you turn purity down a little bit. And it's like, well, I really like, you know, the way, you know, I'm really sarcastic and kind of, you know, mean to people. So, you know, I turn that dial down a little bit and I turn up, you know, the dial over here. And the dials get adjusted. And all of a sudden you realize, you look back and you realize, wow. You know, I really like these doctrines. They're way up, and these doctrines are way down here, and these ones are kind of in the middle, but we all do it. It's human nature. It's our flesh because we want to think of ourselves as good, and so we sort of align the importance of the doctrines, and we align the importance of certain scriptures to match ourselves, which lets us keep on doing what we're doing. It lets us keep on behaving the way we're behaving that we're comfortable with and still feel like we fit with scripture because we don't want to get out of line with scripture, so we just change the dials so that it matches. So that's what we do personally 
sort of reflecting what happens corporately as the church does that as well. The church sort of di- it dials things up and dials things down depending on the culture around it to try to fit in, to try not to draw too much attention or too much scorn or, or anything like that. And, then, and this is what Paul has identified. He's identified that the church in Corinth had dialed liberty way up and dialed purity way down so that they could keep doing what they were doing and get away with it and still feel like they were righteous. But liberty cannot be elevated exclusively above all the other scripture. You can't take grace and elevate it above righteousness. You can't take grace and elevate it above justice and all the other things that need to go with the whole counsel of scripture. And so the emphasis here is the importance of knowing the whole counsel of God. And everything, including liberty and grace, has to be tempered with all of scripture, all of the principles, all of the doctrines of God. The whole counsel of God is the key phrase there. So Paul says to the church at various points through the scriptures, and Acts 20 is an example. He says, speaking in Acts, he says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So Paul is saying, look, I told you everything that you needed to know. I didn't just focus, I didn't just dial this up and dial this down. I taught you the whole counsel of God. Or 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In other words, the purpose of all scripture is to equip us for good work. The purpose of all scripture is not to free us up for the liberty of sinning, right? Which is what the Corinthian church was doing. Paul was looking at the Corinthian church and saying, you have dialed up this liberty doctrine to the point where you've given yourself license to be revilers and drunkards and swindlers and sexually immoral and maintain all these practices that the children of God do not inherit the kingdom of... They're not children of God and they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God if that is what they worship, if that is the habit of their life. And you're missing the point of all scripture or all doctrine. It's for the purpose that you be equipped for every good work, not for the purpose of liberating you for sin. In 2 Peter 1.3, again, Peter says the same thing. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And the elders seem to be failing in Corinth on this part because as leaders and as leaders in your own home as well, uh, 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Okay, so I say all of that as an introduction to point to the problem. The problem that Paul has identified is that the Corinthian church has elevated liberty, dialed down everything else, and they're overlooking all the other counsel of God. They're not understanding how their lives align to the whole counsel of God, and the purpose of the whole counsel of God is not to set you free to continue in sin. The purpose of the whole counsel of God is to equip us for every good work and all things that pertain to life and godliness. And Corinth was missing the mark on this. And we adjust the dials in our own life as well. So we need to have the light of the whole counsel of Scripture on our life, not just our favorite verses, right? You don't just take your favorite verses that you liked from Sunday school and camp on those four or five verses for the rest of your life and say, I'm fine because I remember what the Bible said. We we talked about one last week, right? Don't judge. Okay, we like that one. So, you know, I'm just going to, don't judge. I'm not going to, there's 30 other verses out there, but I'm not going to look at them. I just, I got don't judge and that's all I care about, right? You know, I got God so loved the world that he gave his only only begotten son, uh, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's it. That's all I need. I'm good. Don't need to read anything else. 
You know, I believe in God, so I'm good, right? And so we dial those scriptures up, and we just avoid reading the others, and we don't let the whole counsel of God teach us. And so what's Paul's prescription then? What's Paul's prescription to the church at Corinth? And the prescription that, God, that Paul gives is knowledge. In this chapter, this little chapter, verse 6, where he's dealing with all these issues of immorality and, uh, and sin and who inherits the, the kingdom of God and who's righteous and who's unrighteous, he says five times in the chapter, four times just in the text that we're looking at, but five times in the chapter he says, do you not know? It's a rhetorical question. He's saying, don't you know? 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 He says it five times. The Corinthians, the only thing he can explain is that they seem to have forgotten what all of Scripture teaches them. They seem to have forgotten the whole counsel of God that Paul conveyed to them. Because when he left Corinth, he knows he had conveyed the whole counsel to them. And so he says in the earlier part about um, the lawsuits, he says, Don't you know that we will judge angels? And then he says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom? Then he says, don't you know that your bodies are for Christ? And then he says, don't you know that you become one flesh in fornication? Then he says, don't you know that your body is a temple? Five times Paul goes through this chapter and he says, don't you know what you're supposed to know? The answer to these misadjusted dials of the elevation of liberty and the, and the low view of purity is knowledge. Paul wants them to know. You need to know the whole counsel of God. You have to know all of the scripture. You can't just camp on your favorite verse and crank that dial up and turn all the other dials down because you're no longer believing in the full gospel. Just like we talked about earlier in chapter 5 when uh, Paul was dealing with this, uh, the man who they had to excommunicate because of his behavior Essentially, what we understood from that text at the end of chapter, beginning of chapter 5 was that the Corinthian church wanted a Christ who was a pardoner, but not a Christ who was a purifier. They wanted a gospel that said, Christ pardons me, but they didn't want a gospel that says, Christ purifies me. And it has to be the whole gospel. And we have to align our lives and have all the dials turned up to the whole council of Scripture. And so as we look at this from, from 9 down through 20, we realize that four times Paul asks the question rhetorically, meaning he means the opposite, don't you know? What he really means is you should know. Right? He's asking, don't you know? Don't you know? Don't you know? These are things I taught you. And so he says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. And then he goes through that list of the immoral and thieves and all the people who won't inherit the kingdom of God. He zeroed in on this sort of tragic lack of knowledge on the part of Corinthians that some of them, maybe many of them, are still living in this old lifestyle that they supposedly had left behind when they came to Christ. That they are still living greedily and swindling and in sexual immorality and adultery and reviling and parties and drunken lifestyle and they were not fully aware of their new identity in Christ and so Paul is saying don't you know and so he answers that question he emphasizes it three times he gives them an emphasis with a three-time repetition on their new nature he says and such were some of you but you were washed you were sanctified you were justified in the name of your Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Paul says, you were washed clean of these sins. You were set apart from the world for God. And you were given a right standing before God. In other words, you entered into a state of grace. You were saved. 
So don't you know that you're not supposed to renew those old habits? Don't you know that you're not supposed to feed your old flesh? That there's no place in the kingdom for people who are trapped in their old ways? Don't be deceived. Don't fool yourself that you're secure in your very limited knowledge of grace. If your only understanding of grace is liberty to continue sinning, then you don't understand grace, Paul is saying. Maybe you weren't saved if that's the gospel that you're saved to because that's not the gospel. The gospel of God is that you're washed, that you're set apart, that you're set free from those sins. And so Paul's answer to Corinthians sliding back into old habits is interesting. It's this knowledge. You should know who you are in Christ, and that knowledge should result in a change in who you are. Knowledge of the whole counsel of God. You should know. Start knowing it. And so that's sort of the general principle of that is stated. That's the prescription that Paul brings is this idea of knowledge, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, and you used to be like those unrighteous people, so don't be like that anymore. And then the prescription then is applied to the problem that Paul sees in this elevated liberty, particularly in areas of sexual immorality. So the the specific knowledge that Paul teaches the Corinthians here, he gives two general cases and then he gives a specific case of immorality. And the two general cases he talks about in terms of lawfulness. So as you're following along there, he says, Paul says, all is lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. For Paul says, so basically he's saying, it's true, you can say that all things are lawful for you. Okay, I'm not going to deny that. You were apparently listening when I taught you that. You know, when I taught you that we're dead to the law and that you know, Christ has done what the law couldn't do and that you know, we're under a covenant of grace now. You know, so you were listening when I taught you that. Paul, you, know, you can say all is lawful for me, that you're no longer obligated to the law, but you cannot elevate that one teaching above every other teaching. That not all things are helpful in working out your salvation, which is also something that you need to do. Right? So Paul is saying, all things, all things are lawful for you, but not everything is helpful. You know, you're not under law anymore, but that doesn't mean you just do anything. You know, if you were to look in Philippians, you know, Paul teaching the Philippians there, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Oh, man, he wishes the Corinthian church did this in his absence, right? He was away for a few years, and everything went sideways on them. He says to the Philippians, not only as in my presence, but more so in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So he's saying, essentially, if I was to put those two together, he's saying to the church in Corinth, in my absence... You could sort of try and hang all of your actions on the one idea that you're free from the law. In other words, you could dial up liberty and and behave as if everything depended on grace. But what will you do when God asks you what you did with your salvation? How did you work out your salvation in your life so that grace led you to be blameless and innocent in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation? Right? The Corinthian church would have no answer to Paul or to God or to anybody on that. Because they took their grace and they didn't work out their salvation in their life like a, like a math problem. Like they didn't work it out for the purpose of being innocent and blameless so that they would be a light, so that they would be different than the crooked generation around them. You look at the list that Paul gives there in, in, in Corinthians 6 and basically they were taking their grace and they were working out their salvation in such a way that they looked exactly like the crooked and perverse generation around them. 
They were swindlers, and they were revilers, and they were drunkards, and so they were not looking any different. And Paul's saying, you dialed up liberty, but you forgot you're supposed to work out grace to the accomplishment of being innocent and being a light in a crooked generation, not making yourself identical to a crooked and perverse generation. You've elevated liberty to the point that it no longer is accomplishing its purpose, that you are set free by grace so that you can be free from sin, not set free by grace so that you can be re-enslaved to sin. And that's where Paul digs in a little deeper with his next phrase. He takes it to the next level and he says, all is lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Not only is it not helpful, but I will not be dominated by anything. And now things start getting real, right? It's true that you can say that you are free from law because I did teach you that. I did teach you that you are free from the law and everything is lawful for you. But wait, Can you elevate the truth that you are free from the law above all these other truths? You know, and I could just see, you know, Paul pulling out his, you know, his uh, other letters that he had written and saying to them, what about Romans 6, 5 to 6? What about, for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this. Knowing is the important thing. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. So Paul says, that's fine, Corinth. You get it. Everything is lawful for me. You've dialed up liberty. But what about this? What about the fact that Christ died so that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin? Paul says, everything is lawful, but I won't be dominated by anything. And that's what was going on in the Corinthian church. They'd let sin reign to the point that they were being dominated by sin. That's the danger in our own lives. When we dial up liberty and dial down purity, we can let sin dominate us in our lives. And we can say, oh, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. But we're not free. We're hooked on sin. We're addicted to it. And Paul says, you cannot elevate grace and you cannot elevate liberty to surpass the principle and the reality that we're no longer slaves to sin. That sin cannot reign in our lives. Or Romans six twelve to 14, he goes on and he says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. It's like a direct contradiction to food is for the stomach and stomach is for food. Right? This, this cultural idea that if it's an appetite, then it must be good and we can satisfy our appetite. Paul says the exact opposite. He says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Who's in control, your stomach or you? Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will not have dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. So Paul is explaining to the Corinthian church here that you've got this lawlessness completely upside down. You've got this idea that you are free from the law completely backwards. You think that freedom from the law and grace and liberty is that you can go on sinning. But he says here in Romans, he says that sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law but under grace. It's the very fact that you're under grace that you can get out from under sin. When you were in law, you were trapped in it because the law just pointed out to you all the things that were sin and all the things that you were stuck doing. Right? Paul says it was the law that showed him that he was sinning. And so Paul says that 
Sin won't have dominion over you because you are under grace. It's a grace, it's a liberty to be free from sin, not a liberty to sin. And so Paul says, yeah, it's true. All things are lawful, but what about not letting sin dominate you? You know, how are you doing with that? Do you know that your sin is not supposed to control your life, that you're not supposed to be a slave to it? So Paul is not sure that they do know that. And so he says, he lays out a little bit more knowledge on them, uh, just as an example of how to use Scripture to fully inform our lives. So those were sort of the general cases, you know. Um, you know, everything is lawful, but not everything is ho- uh, helpful. Everything is lawful, but don't let sin dominate you. Those are sort of the general cases. But then Paul zeroes in in the last part of the text here. He starts to talk about or to explain the specific case of form- fornication and how, if the Corinthian church understood the whole counsel of God, they would understand how to apply it to their lives. And so he gives specific examples of the doctrines of Scripture or the principles and the truths of God and how those truths, if the Corinthians understood the whole counsel and they were applying the whole counsel of Scripture to their lives, if they understood those things, how it would correct their behavior. So here's the specific example. He explains the specific implications of the sin of fornication, of becoming one flesh. And so the people at Corinth were basically treating their sexual appetite just like their food appetite. Right? They were saying, well, I'm hungry, so I eat, and that's okay. And so if I want to satisfy this appetite with this person, then that's okay, because it's just an appetite. It's just a desire of my body, and we're meant to fulfill the desires of our body. And so Paul says that that's not true. God will destroy both food and the stomach someday, and your body is not meant for sexual immorality, but it is for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. And so they treated very lightly the implications of sexual sin. And they figured that it was natural as hunger for them to satisfy their sexual desires. And part of this has to do, I mean, it's in our culture, but it was very explicit in Corinth. He talks about the temple, and uh, Paul's drawing a very close connection because uh, in Corinth, the biggest building in Corinth was the temple to Aphrodite. And uh, Aphrodite was the goddess of love, and so uh, to worship at the goddess of love, you had sex. That was the communion of, <laughs> of the goddess Aphrodite. And so there were women and men at the temple all the time for people to come and worship. So that's the reality that the Corinthian church was dealing with. We don't quite have that in Halliburton. There isn't a big temple of Aphrodite. Uh, <laughs> we have other problems. You know, this, this is a problem in culture. It's not unique to Corinth. It's not unique to us. It's unique to mankind. And, uh, but just so that you have the context here of what Paul is talking about, it's very, very... Um, poignant to the Corinthians particularly because they totally get the connection that Paul is making between the temple and the temple, the temple of Aphrodite, the temple of God, and the temple of our bodies, right? So Paul deals with their treating lightly the implications of their sexual sin and the things that they had brought into the church. He basically lays out the whole counsel of God for them and and applies it to their impurity, That was bringing shame on themselves and bringing shame on God. So the first thing he says is, your bodies are members of Christ. In 15 and 16 there, he says, do you not know, there it is again, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined with a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. And so Paul's just saying, look, if you... Yeah, I get you get it. You, you understand liberty. You understand grace. I get that that was my favorite sermon. <laughs> you know, I get it. You guys got that part. But you're forgetting this other stuff I taught you. Don't you remember this principle either? Don't you remember the principle that our bodies are members of Christ? 
And so are you going to dial that way down and dial liberty way up and take your body, which is a member of Christ in your union with him, and use it for adultery and use it for fornication? Paul says never with an exclamation point. There, are no punctu- there is no punctuation in Greek, so we put that in there. <laughs> you know, you're gonna, never do that. Never are you going to do that? If you had dialed, if you had the dials set properly, you would remember, yes, it's true I'm free. It's true I have grace. It's true I have liberty. It's also true that my body is a member of Christ. And so that behavior is offside. They're both true. Liberty and the fact that we're members of Christ. And you can't dial up the one and dial down the other. And then Paul says, or do you not know? Here, here's some more stuff I taught you that you should know. That he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her, for it is written that the two will be one flesh. Don't you know the mystery that God created in marriage? That a husband and wife will leave their father and mother, and the two will cleave and become one flesh? Don't you understand the significance of that mystery? Have you dialed that down to the point that you just couple your body with whoever you feel like and just pretend there's no consequences, that there's nothing going on there? He says, you should know this. That that dial should be turned up too. Don't you remember what I taught you? That the two become one flesh. And so it's not inconsequential that you're behaving this way. That every time you do that, there are consequences. So the first point that Paul makes in the very specific case of sexual immorality, he says, here's the whole counsel of God. Not just grace, not just liberty. Also the truth that you're one member with Christ. Also the truth that if you take that and you unite it in that way, in an immoral way, that you're, there's consequences. You're bringing that into your body and into the body of Christ. And then he goes on the second specific application. He says, you should know this too. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own, for you were bought with a price. He gives you two things in there. So he gives them two more things. He says, you should know this. I taught you this too. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You're going to take the temple of the Holy Spirit and go and use it like that? How come that dial isn't turned up, right? Or don't you know also this, that you are not your own, that you were bought with a price, that Christ died for you, shed his blood for you? And so your body, you're using your body as if you have full rights to it, as if it's totally within your liberty to do what you want with it. But your body was bought with a price by God. And you've got that dial turned way down. And don't we all? Right? These are the ones we like to turn down. Right? We like to turn down the dial that says God owns us. <laughs> that we're bond servants by the grace of God to him and to obey the law of Christ. We turn that dial down because we like our liberty. Right? We like our rights. We like our freedoms. Right? We prefer that we are free. And so we dial that one down and we dial liberty up. Because we don't want to think about the things and the implications and the truths that if it's true that we're bought with a price, then this is how we would need to behave. Right? The Corinthians didn't want to think about that. And so they just kept thinking, everything is lawful for me. Everything is lawful for me. Everything is lawful for me. And Paul's like, yeah, it's true. Everything is lawful for you. But. Everything is lawful for you. But. Everything is lawful for you. But. You're not under law. But. There's implications And if you read the whole counsel of Scripture, if you understand the whole counsel of God, your behavior wouldn't be what it is. When I taught you liberty, when I taught you grace, I didn't teach it so that you could be free to sin. All of Scripture is God-breathed, and all of Scripture is meant for instruction in righteousness. Not 
all Scripture is God-breathed, and all Scripture is meant to free you to sin. <laughs> it doesn't say that anywhere. But that's how Corinth had interpreted it. And that's how we interpret it, if we're honest. We realize that we have certain dials that are set a little lower than they should be, right? You know, and so that's why we have to look at the general case here, because what does it mean for us other than don't fornicate, you know, which probably doesn't apply to a lot of you, maybe some of you, but the more general principle, you know, we don't have a temple of Aphrodite. It's not a normal cultural practice to go and satisfy that appetite at the temple just whenever we feel like it. That was the way it was in Corinth, right? And uh, so we don't have that. You know, probably not fornicating doesn't apply to a lot of people. And so you're sitting there thinking, well, this doesn't apply to me because I'm not that bad. But the more general principle that, God, that Paul ends on is to glorify God in everything. To not elevate the principle of liberty to a point that it invites sin into your life and it jeopardizes your sanctification. Right? And it's hard to, be, to do examples because it's our nature, especially these days, to resist lists. Right? Like if I was to start to do a list, you would automatically start thinking, you can't do a list. Uh, you know, that's legalism. <laughs> And that's your dial getting turned right there when you think that. <laughs> Nobody dares to make a list of things that might be offside or, or avoided or, or, or that legalism cry rises up, right? But some things are just wrong. And, and Paul, Paul dares to make a list, right? He lists them in Scripture. Paul calls the church out, and he says the church needs to judge according to these things, to the whole counsel of Scripture, Right In chapter 5, they just excommunicated a member in violation of certain behavior. And we have to humble ourselves to Scripture and to each other and accept that there are boundaries on behavior. And boundaries on behavior or simply listing scriptural principles that we're to live our life by is not legalism. It's just encouragement. It's just reminders. It's just teaching. It's just an exercise in which we're able to align our Christian liberties with the truth of Scripture. Right. So just, just setting boundaries or just... Just putting out scripture there that says this is how we're to live is not legalism. I had the membership covenant here. I was going to use it as as an example. And I'm not targeting anybody in specific. But we we came out with this membership covenant a year or so ago or whatever. And and, uh, I get it. I'm not saying that uh, or arguing whether it was worded exactly right or whether uh, the intent of the membership covenant was communicated properly. But simply to point out this, that the membership covenant and what we now call the membership membership affirmation It was a natural outcome of the principle that Lakeside Church is standing on the whole council of Scripture, right? Like, that's what it says. When you go on the website or you look at the letterhead, it says Lakeside Church, and then underneath, what does it say? Standing on the Word of God, right? And so that membership covenant that some of you may remember and the membership affirmation that it sort of got shortened down to because people didn't like the list, that membership covenant was simply this principle that we're standing on the whole council of God. And so that membership covenant had in it It had a list. It looked like a list. It had things like, we're not going to hold grudges. And we're going to be a people that forgive each other. And we're going to be a people that are committed to service. And we're going to be a people that that, that give to the ministry so that God's word can be glorified. It had these, all just biblical principles. And and it's a list. And so you can look at that list and you say, I'm not going to be tied to any list. And that was not the intent. Maybe we communicated it badly, but that was not the intent. The intent of the membership covenant, the intent of the Christian life, the intent that Paul is getting across here is you have to stand on the whole counsel of God, standing on the word of God, not standing on three verses. And so that when you sign up to participate in the Christian faith, you're signing up to engage with all the dials turned up. The dial to not hold grudges is turned up just as high as the dial of liberty. 
right? And the dial to forgive is turned up just as high as the dial to judge. Okay, they're all turned up. You don't get to turn down holding grudges so that you're allowed to hold a grudge and still feel righteous about yourself. That dial gets turned up too. You're not allowed to turn down the dial on giving sacrificially and say, well, I really need a big screen TV. And the church youth program, yeah, whatever. Right? You can't do that. You can't turn that dial down. You have to turn all the dials up and obey them all. Okay? And that's all that was. So that's a specific example here at Lakeside. That membership covenant, as an example, wasn't, it wasn't legalism. It was simply, it wasn't trying to set boundaries. It wasn't trying to, you know, it was just trying to say, hey, we, when you're at Lakeside, we stand on the whole counsel of God. And here's, a, here's just a sampling of the, all the counsel that God has to say for his church family. And we want to stand on all of it, not just part of it. That's all that was. Right? The wrong way to, le- to read that, or the wrong way to hear what Paul is saying, is that it's a legalistic list of do's and don'ts. It's not a legalistic list. The right way to read this is an affirmation of the principles that Paul is describing. That here's the scriptural principles that we affirm, and we're not going to elevate any of them above any others. And we're certainly not going to elevate our liberty to such a point that we get to set ourselves apart from that list and say, yeah, I want to be at Lakeside, but I am not going to give to ministry. I'm not going to serve. You know, I'll decide whether I hold a grudge or not. I'm not going to participate in reconciliation, right? And it's so easy to get that attitude because it's me and what I believe and my rights and my liberty. And don't anybody dare impinge on my liberty. And we got to realize that we are called as Christians to be governed by the whole counsel of the whole counsel of Scripture. But that's a church example. Now, a more general life example, maybe, and then I'll be done. Wow, where'd that 10 minutes go? <laughs> a more general example here in our life where we use our liberty to provide an opportunity for sin. And you say, well, I'm free from the law. I can read that magazine. I can read those books. I can watch those TV shows. It's not a legalistic Christianity that I belong to. You know, we're not a bunch of prudes. It's okay if I watch YouTube. It's okay if I, you know, watch those videos or, you know, what we put in our bodies and what we do. They are not helping our sanctification and our salvation. And they can lead to dominating us in the general principle. Paul says, yeah, you're free. You're right. You got it. You got the liberty. But not those, those things aren't all helpful. All the TV shows you watch... And all the YouTubes you end up at after seven or eight clicks, and all the magazines you read, and all the movies you see, and all the stuff you do. Yeah, there's, there's, you can go to parties, it's true, but they're not all helpful. And then he goes to the next, and he says, and they'll dominate you eventually. You watch enough of that TV, you read enough of those books, you go to enough of those parties, and they'll start to dominate you. And so we have to know how to apply Scripture to our lives so that we don't deceive ourselves and convince ourselves we're righteous when we're really only righteous in the slice, in the dials that we've turned up. So like I said, I'm covering all of this in a very general sense. The general sense is Paul has identified the problem in the Corinthian church. Low view of purity, super high view of liberty. Paul's answer to the problem, knowledge. Knowledge of the whole counsel of God. You have to know everything the Scripture says and that all the dials on all the instructions are all turned up so that you're not elevating one thing, especially liberty, above anything else and ignoring all the other principles of Scripture entirely. Ignoring the fact that we're to use our grace for righteousness. Ignoring the fact that we're to use our grace uh, to uh, be a light in the world and in a crooked and perverse generation. And so we have to be that church. 
We have to be a church that strives with the Holy Spirit toward our sanctification. We have to be a church that doesn't resist the instruction or guidance of Scripture. We have to be a church that doesn't justify our resistance to correction by pretending it's a rejection of legalism, but instead we have to be a church that just submits to all Scripture, that it's all profitable for us. Not with the aim being liberty to sin, but with the aim being equipping for good work and unity in the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father God, in that weird sort of ironic circle way, thank you that we're doing today exactly what Paul is instructing Corinth to do, which is to look at all scripture and not shy away from any of it. And so Father, I know that this is tricky territory when we get into these chapters in the middle of 1 Corinthians. And uh, there's a lot of very specific cases that need to be addressed. But the main point, Lord, is that we're going to be a church that has all the dials up. We're not going to dial one doctrine or one truth above others. We're going to hold all the counsel of Scripture equally, and we're going to apply it to everything that we do. And so, Lord, I thank you that we have not skipped over verses or shied away from certain topics, but that we are seeking to be knowledgeable in everything that your Scripture teaches and using it for the outcome that you would have, that all Scripture And the whole purpose of your grace and your liberty is not to free us up to sin or to hold grudges or to have our own personal righteousness tuned the way we like it. The purpose of your grace is to set us free from that and to humble us before your scripture so that we can be a people that are united in the whole council, standing on the word of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.